on August 9, 1992, the church building of Trinity Lutheran Church in Linwood, Washington, burned to the ground, the work of an arsonist. For the congregation, this was an especially devastating loss. A remodeling of the building had been nearing completion. Instead of planning for its dedication, members of the congregation assembled in the church parking lot on Sunday morning, just a few hours after the fire had begun. The charred embers of the church building still smoldering behind them. In his sermon that morning, the pastor assured the assembly there will be new life coming out of this death and destruction. Like the phoenix rising out of the ashes, Trinity will rise again. In the prayers, a young woman pleaded, Hear our prayers, Lord, for the troubled soul who did this tragic thing. The fire at Trinity was one of the first in a series of arson fires in the greater Seattle area that year. Businesses, churches, homes were all targeted. And by early October, nearly 50 fires were determined to be arson-related. On February 8, 1993, six months after the fire at the church, the pastor opened his morning paper and learned that the arsonist had been caught. The pastor was stunned. Just a few months before the fire, he had met with the arsonist, who was an advertising salesman who had been assisting in the preparation of a mailing for the congregation. At that meeting, the two had discussed not only advertising strategy, but also theology and faith and ministry. The pastor later described his thoughts as he drove to work that morning. I resolved to go and see Paul in jail. I had to know why he had done this. And despite my hurt and anger, part of my heart softened. I knew Paul must be hurting too and feeling scared. He was a brother in Christ and I felt obligated to visit him. I recalled Jesus's admonition to visit those who are sick or in prison. So a few days later, the pastor met with the arsonist at the jail. Paul acknowledged that his life had been in shambles. His marriage had ended in divorce. He was in the midst of bankruptcy proceedings, and he had begun to drink heavily. He 
insisted that he hadn't intended to hurt anyone. Yet he also accepted responsibility and expressed his willingness to go to prison. In response, the pastor assured him, Remember that no matter what you have done, you are still a baptized child of God. God may not like what you have done, but he still loves you. And God forgives you. The pastor continued, I can't speak for the congregation, but I forgive you. In the weeks that followed, the pastor continued to visit Paul in jail. And a few weeks later, Paul addressed a letter to the congregation. It began, I want each one of you to know how deeply sorrowful I am for the fire that burned your church. He went on to say that though he was a Christian, he had let God down. He continued, I humbly ask for your forgiveness. One month after his arrest, Paul pleaded guilty to 32 arsons. While he was awaiting sentencing, the leadership of Trinity Church sent him a letter. Jesus told us that we must forgive those who sin against us, not seven times, but 77 times. That is the hard part because it is not in human nature to forgive, the letter read. But it continued, because we are Christians and have accepted Jesus as Lord, then the easy part is actually forgiving someone for sinning against us. So the letter said, I want to extend to you not only our forgiveness, but our love and our prayers. The practice of forgiveness is a gospel practice rooted in Jesus's ministry and teaching. Luke's gospel tells us that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, prayed for his executioners. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. When we meet Jesus in today's gospel reading, he is on his way to Jerusalem. He's been teaching about the cost of discipleship, the requirement that his disciples give up everything, in order to become his disciples. He concludes in the verse just before today's passage begins, let anyone with ears to hear listen. And it seems that people were listening, apparently undeterred by the demands of following Jesus. 
Not only tax collectors and sinners gathered to hear him, but also Pharisees and scribes. We've met these characters before in Luke's gospel. Sinners had strayed from the Jewish law and so were not eligible and therefore not welcome to sit at table with observant Jews. Tax collectors colluded with the Roman Empire, participating in a harsh system of occupation in first century Palestine. Moreover, some of these tax collectors were corrupt, enriching themselves by adding fees on top of the heavy taxes that were owed. The Pharisees and scribes were religious leaders concerned to preserve the integrity of the community by upholding the teachings and the practices commanded in Jewish law. Throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus eats with them all. Tax collectors and sinners, scribes and Pharisees, righteous and unrighteous. At the beginning of today's gospel, Jesus' willingness to eat with anyone creates tension as the religious leaders complain about Jesus' practice of eating with sinners. Jesus responds to their complaints, as he often does, with stories. The two that we hear today are parallel stories of finding what is lost. A shepherd, tending a hundred sheep, losing one of them, leaves the 99 and goes in search of the lost one. A woman owning 10 coins, each worth about a day's wage for a laborer, loses one and painstakingly searches her house until she finds it. Both stories are full of action on the part of the one who seeks what has been lost. The shepherd leaves the 99, goes after the one who is lost, finds the lost sheep, lays it on his shoulders, and rejoices. The woman lights a lamp, sweeps the house, searches carefully, finds her lost coin, and calls together her friends and neighbors to rejoice. The lost sheep and lost coin do nothing. These stories are not about sinners repenting, but about finding the lost. This is very good news for each and every one of us. God takes the initiative. God seeks us out like a shepherd seeking a lost sheep, like a woman looking for a lost coin. God keeps on looking, keeps on searching until we are found. The pastor and congregation of Trinity Lutheran Church participated in this generous love of God. 
The morning after the devastating fire that destroyed their newly built worship space, a member of the congregation prayed for the troubled soul who did this tragic thing, recognizing that he was a sinner who was lost, asking not for vengeance, but for God's compassion, like a shepherd seeking a lost sheep or a woman seeking a lost coin. When the arsonist was identified and arrested, the pastor opened his heart to him, reminding Paul, God loves you. God forgives you. And the pastor went further, offering his own forgiveness. The leadership of the congregation, as Paul awaited sentencing, offered not just forgiveness, but love and prayers. Might we imagine each of these as actions of God, embodied in those who sought out the arsonist, a sinner who was lost, poured compassion upon him. Trinity Church began to rebuild after the arson fire. At the laying of the cornerstone two years after the fire, Paul, the arsonist, contributed a taped message from his prison cell. He said, I'm constantly reminded that God's love is never out of reach. His forgiveness and his grace are always available for the asking, he said to the assembly. He went on, I want each of you to know that I have felt your prayers and have wept time and again over the precious forgiveness that many have offered in letter and in the spoken word. There is even more good news here in the stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin. When God finds what is lost, joy abounds. The shepherd goes home with a lost sheep and gathers his neighbors and friends calling them to rejoice with him that the lost has been found. The woman who finds her lost coin gathers her friends and neighbors to celebrate with her. Jesus assures his listeners and us that the angels rejoice over just one sinner who repents. That joy resounds through heaven. Not only does God actively seek us, God delights in finding us. Whether we are righteous or unrighteous, whether we diligently work to follow the Christian way of love or stray from that path, and let's face it, who among us has not strayed once or twice? 
wherever we are, God seeks us and will not give up until we are restored to the loving embrace of God. Let us rejoice.